Hello. All right, so 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Qualifications for overseers. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Pray with me, please. God, we are so thankful for all that you do for us, all that you provide for us, both our families and individually. God, we're also thankful that you provide for us as a church, that you provide guidance, that you provide a, a, a standard uh, for leaders for your church. And so, God, we're thankful that you don't leave us alone, um, even in church governance. God, I do, I do consider it an honor to serve in one of those capacities, and I just, I'm thankful for your, for your provision uh, and your wisdom. Uh, God, we pray this morning that you would help our ears uh, be attentive to your word and our hearts be attentive to you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. So he said the word, church governance. Who's excited? <laughs> Feels like I'm hosting like a CPA conference for no one that likes numbers. Um, but nonetheless, we're going to do it together. And um, the, here's my hope, really. There's a lot of hopes in this. Um, but my hope is uh, ultimately that you would see the value of good church governance. Um, all of us live in homes, and I've said this before, but it was six years ago that we preached on eldership. And so it would bear repeating, especially as we got in this room last week, and half of us sat down immediately when it was asked, like, sit down if you've come since COVID. And so that's just two years, much less six years. And so we need a good understanding of what it is that God qualifies for us in regards to eldership. We all live in homes that have load-bearing walls. You can't move these walls without some significant structural changes. And so that's really the, the, the hope of eldership uh, in regards to all these people uh, gathered on any given Sunday, scattered even after we uh, gather together, is what holds all this together. And it's not just the elders. Of course, the Holy Spirit, of course, Jesus himself holds all things together. But he puts before us some good load-bearing walls for all of us to stand up underneath, especially in times of hurricanes and, and, and storms and difficulties in life. And that's ultimately what a good eldership will do for any local church. Today, we have an opportunity to ordain our, our elders. And you might be thinking, if you've been a part of our church for a long time, didn't we do that a long time ago? So what we're doing today is very similar to what we did. However, if I'm going to stand before you with any integrity, I need to let you know we intentionally did not ordain them in 2017 when we laid our hands on them and we approved them. We intentionally didn't do that because there's a lot of wisdom in waiting a little bit of time so that they can kind of you know, prove their calling to both themselves and also to their congregation. So we'd hoped to ordain them after a year, and it's been five. So sorry about that, guys. Whoops. Um, life happens, right? But we want to make that right. And so for those of us that were around back then, this is going to look and feel a little similar. If you've never been to an ordination, um, this is going to be really, I think, a beautiful. The first time I ever went to an ordination was on a Sunday morning, and they ordained elders. It was my first time at that church. And I just remember thinking, sitting there as a graduate of seminary, thank God there are churches that care about the small things in the Bible, the quote-unquote small things in the Bible. The things that we're not reading in devotional time, they're still faithfully committed to, and they want to make sure that you all have an appreciation for that faithfulness. So today, we'll look a little bit like what we did back in 2017, when we presented them in 2017 with our partners, and then eventually um, our whole congregation. But here's the reality of why we need to do this today. 
Uh, one is our elders are being invited into more and more ministry that ordination, if they're not ordained, they will not be able to do legally. Namely, to marry someone. So there's an opportunity for someone to, 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 to officiate a wedding soon. Uh, to also bury people legally. That also requires ordination. And also there's uh, good financial stewardship that the tax laws of this country allow for anybody that is going to be in vocational ministry to be able to partake of. And that will soon be our brother, Elder Josue, as he plants a new work in Sugarland. right? So we need to get behind these guys in any way possible, and we don't want some legal uh, you know, hurdle to stand in the way of good, beautiful gospel ministry. So here we are, right? Now you might be thinking to yourself, well, what is ordination? Anybody thinking that in this room? I, I have in this last week. I'm like, do we really? Is it really? Yes. Ordination comes from Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. And I just want to read for you 2 and 3. I think it helps us understand where this understanding of ordination really comes from. Acts 13, it's going to come up on your screen. The middle of, of, of chapter 2 says this, the Holy Spirit said, check that out, there's going to be a lot of teaching today, by the way, there's going to be a lot of like real technical stuff today, less preaching, more teaching, and so I'm going to have to ask you to like either pay attention to the screen, take some notes, kind of keep some things sorted, otherwise we're going to get a little bit lost. So here we are, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. I don't know if you remember last week's title, but it was sanctified by the word and sent into the world. It's all over the Bible, y'all. Set them apart, consecrate them, and send them out. And here it is again in Acts 13, right? There is a setting apart to consecrating them to a specific work and the work that we're calling them to and setting them apart for because we sense the Holy Spirit having said that this is a unique call for their lives is the work of ministry. And so some of them will be sent out like Josue, others will be sent right here to stay for the time being anyways. Who knows what the future holds? And so this is where we get this idea of ordaining someone to set them apart for this holy, consecrated work, whether it be here or abroad, right? So really for all of this, my hope is that we would have an appreciation for eldership, but that we'd also have a good definition of what a church leader, church elder should be. Uh, really, I think for all of us, we need to understand what the qualifications of good elders are for multiple reasons. We need to evaluate. If you want to evaluate the health of a church, go see and go interview and go sit down with those that call themselves pastors, elders, overseers. That's one of the first things that many of you will have done when you've come and been a part of this church. They've invited me and my family over, or we've invited you over, and the inquisition begins. And I'm cool with it because I know that you have a really high standard for church leadership, and so you should. You should have the highest standard of church leadership. So my hope is that you have an understanding of what that standard truly is after today. My hope is that you would hold us as the eldership of this local church accountable to that standard, and that I would encourage you through the scriptures to have honor amongst the congregation. There are multiple times in the New Testament where it says the position of elder is worthy of honor or double honor. That's a command to the congregation, not just a standard to which the elders are to hold, right? And then finally, I hope that you give, I give you an aspirational goal an aspirational goal for every man and woman to be able to go, you know, I want to mature into either the qualifications of an elder or the qualifications of a deacon. That everyone in here would go, you know what, that's the kind of person that God is calling or at least inviting everyone to become. And I wonder if we have that on us as far as like, man, God wants me to grow in this and to have an aspirational goal unto eldership or deaconship. But today, just eldership. So the first thing I want to do is define an elder. What is an elder? Um, I don't know about you, but my church history is littered with poor examples of what we've called an elder. Um, so 
Uh, I grew up, number one, in the Catholic tradition, and then after the Catholic tradition, when I became a believer, I was embedded in the Baptist tradition. When I was embedded there, I went to certain churches that had deacons, and then there were other churches that I had as elders, but they didn't have both. And usually the deacons served as elders, this governing authority, authoritative body, and there was no deacons to serve or elders to serve because deacons kind of served both roles. It was rather confusing at least in my experience. And so um, there's some confusion just in what we have done in regards to elders and deacons. But let me just clarify for you. Elders are exemplary models of shepherding. And they serve by leading. You getting that? They serve the church by leading. Deacons are exemplary models of service. Whereas elders are exemplary models of shepherding, deacons are exemplary models of service, and they lead by serving. An elder serves by leading, a deacon leads by serving. You see the difference there? So that's how we can clarify that. There's two different lists of qualifications for both an elder and a deacon. There are two different offices in the Bible. But then I would also say, like, not just like, oh, well, maybe, you know, uh, titles on a web page are confusing, and so therefore I need to have an understanding. There's also just the practical reality of having an understanding of what a biblical elder is. I remember sitting in uh, the living room of someone that used to call this place their home. And we were kind of going through a little bit of a dispute between what they wanted and what we were able to do. And I remember saying to that uh, family, and I just said, hey, the elders have come up with this decision, and, and, and this is where we land on this. And the husband, who was older than us, goes, well, I'm an elder too, and I disagree. And I was like, but not quite exactly how that works, just because you're older doesn't necessarily qualify you as elder and governing authority of a local body. So even amidst us, it has been a point of confusion. And so my hope is that we would truly get some understanding here. All right, now, are you ready for, like, um, the nitty-gritty, as, uh, as our friend Nacho says? The words for overseer, which is presbuteros, I know you were all wondering, what is the Greek word for overseer? It's presbuteros, which is where we get Presbyterian from. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, it's right there in the Bible. It's presbuteros for overseer. The word for bishop is episkopos, which is where we get Episcopalian from. Oh, I didn't know that either. It's right there in the Bible. These two words are used interchangeably in the New Testament. Presbytery and Episcopal are, are used interchangeably in the New Testament to basically mean the same thing. And then you have a third word, which is usually translated shepherding, which is poimano. It is mostly used as a verb, again, normally translated as shepherd. So let me just show you two places in the Bible, because you need biblical evidence, where this fleshes itself out. First one is in Titus 1, chapter 5 through 7. It's going to come up on your screen. This is a foundational passage for our church. Now, not only am I going to uh, help for you to see um, that, that these two words are used interchangeably, but you should also just see the qualifications here for an elder. I'm not going to be able to go through this passage later, so just take note in your mind. This is why I left you in Crete, Paul says to Titus, which was an island. He says, so that you may put what remained into order and appoint, notice that elders are appointed, Appoint elders, presbyteros, in every town as I directed you. Verse 6. If anyone is above reproach, he's now going into the qualifications of an elder, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, that's episkopos. So I appoint elders, presbyteros, and now for an overseer, episkopos, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. These two words being used interchangeably by our friend Paul, but also by another leader of the church, Peter. He does the same thing in Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. He says this, So I exhort the elders, presbyteros, among you as a fellow elder, presbyteros, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory of what is to be revealed. Shepherd, poimano, pastor, 
the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, episkopos, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. I just want you to see, in a world where we are picking apart the Bible to mean different things, if you don't know that's happening within church governance, go look at the controversy around the Southern Baptist Church and Saddleback Church. You can see some controversy about how they're using certain words to justify certain things in the scriptures and in their own church. In a world where we're in that world, these words are used interchangeably in the New Testament. They are not picked apart to mean one thing or the other, but interchangeably. So as a summary, I'm going to put these words up so you can see them. Presbyteros is overseer, elder. Episcopos is bishop. Uh, they are called then to shepherd, poimano, people with an official office, people with, these are people with an official office of oversight of a local church. So that's the nitty gritty. And if you're thinking to yourself right now, I did not sign up for a seminary class, who cares? You should. Here's why. You don't know you have really good parents or really bad parents until it matters. You don't know that you have bad parents until you need them and they don't show up. You don't know you have bad parents until they abuse you and you thought that was normal until you get older. You don't know that you need good parents to do solid biblical things and then there's a moment of crisis and those parents step in to protect you, care for you, and do what's right. But if you don't have those parents, it matters in those moments, doesn't it? All of us are in a family together, and we need solid, godly, biblical, ultimately spiritual fathers to help us. Whether it be our own personal crisis or in crises of the local body, these are the people that have the backbone, but also the tenderness to step into those moments when we most need them the most. Most need them the most? Yes. That's exactly what I said. Doesn't make any sense but that's too bad, right? I remember, um, so like, you know this, we always live on mission, we try to live on mission. I've been living on mission with one in particular person, and this is kind of uh, uh, like the importance of, of ultimately why we need elders, right? Um, is that she is in a marriage that is not biblical. She was in a marriage that was not biblical. I won't tell you the details as to why it wasn't biblical, but it wasn't biblical. It was defined by the world as love is love, but it wasn't biblical, Okay, y'all getting me now? Okay, she was concerned when she felt like it was time to get a divorce, what her family was going to think about getting a divorce. Now, you might think, like, what's the big deal? You can't be in a, in a, in a family that's not defined as family. Not possible. And the same thing can be said for eldership and pastors, that this has to be biblically defined in order for God to bless it. We've got to get beyond emotional highs of a Sunday. You go, go, go and do emotional high of a Sunday. Hopefully it's here, hopefully it's somewhere else. But at some point, if you're going to call that place your own, you better get into the nitty-gritty on what they value, not just through their statement of belief, but on how they call and what they define elder and deacon and so on and so forth. So that is not only the reason why we need this, but it is, a qualifi or it is an understanding, a definition of an elder. It is an overseer. It is a bishop. It is somewhat of a, someone who, who shepherds, who pastors someone in a local church with governing authority. Okay? Now, what qualifies a person to be in that office? This is where we're going to go, uh-oh. Okay, this is where everybody's going to be like, I don't think I agree with that. But we're going to get to the scriptures, and we're going, to, we're going to listen to the scriptures speak to us and govern how we do things, right? What are the qualifications of an elder? This is where we were, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. If you haven't gotten there, please go there. You're going to need to follow along here. Now, in every area of leadership, we try to qualify a leader here at the Grove with five C's. Okay, five C's is what we try to shoot for in every area of leadership, but especially elder and overseer or deacon, right? So here we go. Those five C's are these. The, there's calling, capacity, chemistry, competency, and character. Now, the first three C's are implied in the first qualification 
of a good elder. 1 Timothy 3, 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, elder, if anyone aspires to that office, he desires a noble task. It is this office of overseer, but it's really this, this first part of aspiration. That really covers the first three C's as I see it here, of calling, capacity, and chemistry, because you have to work all those things out for someone who aspires to the office of elder. Not everyone, not every person aspires to an office in a local church, and I want to say first and foremost, that's okay. Everyone should aspire to the kind of maturity that these offices require, but not everybody would aspire to the responsibility of the actual office itself. But, friends, there should be more who do. You know one of the main things that's crippling the local church in America? Is the lack of developed Christians. The lack of more Christians that desire more maturity and will do the hard work and sacrifice their weekends in order to become the kind of person that God wants them to become so they can lead other people. We all want... um, influence and position but do we want to do the hard work it takes to get there most of us want a promotion at work it means more money it means more responsibility i would ask why not do why don't we have the same sort of fire in our bellies for the kind of promotion or maturity and office within the church the church aspiration is covering the first three c's let me just work through them One is calling. This is, we have to discern God's will, just like Acts 13, where it said, the Holy Spirit said, we have to understand uh, what it is that God wants us to do. This is best discerned, friends, for all of us that want to put God on whatever our fleshly desires are. Oh, well, God called me to do this. God called me to do that. For all of us that want to do that, and we're all tempted to do that, we all are, We have to best discern what God has called us to do within the context of community. So anyone that aspires to be an elder, and they go, well, I think God's calling me to be an elder at this church, the rest of the elders will go, well, we'll discern that together. Does that make sense? Aspiration, calling, understanding God's will. Capacity. There's a relational and emotional bandwidth, right, to pastorally care for others. If you're too busy to pastor, you're too busy. If you're going to be a shepherd and an elder. Chemistry, the relationships with the current elders, and there's a proven desire, a lifelong desire for unity. You're not going to go in and pick apart what they've always done, although maybe that's what's needed. That even if you can disagree, you come together where there's points of agreement, and you form like a good parent against some crazy kids. We may disagree behind the scenes, But in front of you kids, we're going to be united front because if you sniff weakness, you're going to get us. That's what what happens in our families, is it not? Elders many times do the same thing. There's also then competency, that there are certain things that an elder must be able to do, and that is fleshed out now in character. It is a life that is an example to the flock. So let me ask you this question before we get through all these characteristics of an elder. There's 14, just in 1 Timothy 1, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Before I get to those, what kind of people do you want leading you spiritually? Have you thought about that in a while? What kind of people do you want leading you spiritually? And the Bible does a great job of, exa- of, of helping us understand the kind of people we should want. Okay, some of us will, will try to qualify the people before us by whether or not they make us laugh or whether or not they keep our attention or whether or not they entertain our kids, and that's fine and well, but let's put that on the way down the list of things that actually qualify a good shepherd and overseer. Instead, the Bible says this, that one, they would be above reproach. They're in first two, right? Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. What does that mean? There are all kinds of things in the Bible. They use language we don't use on a regular basis, but above reproach means beyond credible accusation. doesn't mean that an elder won't be accused of something. It's that there's no credible, credible accusation. It is then they are the husband of one wife. 
This is the most controversial one in all of them. So it feels like I need to explain it. The Bible, the Greek says, a man, a one, no, a man of one woman, a male of one female. Okay? So here's where anytime we've ever talked about this, this is maybe why we haven't talked about this on the stage for six years. Anytime we've ever talked about this, people usually get up and leave. Because we're in a world that does not appreciate faithfulness to the scriptures, and we're in a world that must progress, don't we? So here's what we believe about the scriptures. Number one, they govern all of life and faith. So we submit to them. What God says, we submit to. Okay? And what's pretty clear here, at least in this particular part, a husband, a male of one female, would seem to indicate that the office of eldership is restricted then to males. I know that's not popular. I know that um, that ruffles us, our, our feathers the wrong way. Um, I also know that, like, Chris and I have had some really great conversations about what this looks like, and we'll continue to have those conversations over time because we want to work all these things out with equitable fairness and, and as much uh, of a desire to see women flourish inside the local church. Now, I don't know if you saw the stage earlier, so no one's here, like, pushing our thumb on females and going, no. Instead, we're going, yes, yes, get on the stage, yes, read to us, yes, pray for us, yes, lead us in song and in any way the Bible would allow us to do. But where it says, you know, that's probably reserved for a male, we're going to submit to that as well. Be like a family. You know, the wife can't just want to be the husband. They can want to be, but it's going to be pretty frustrating. There's only one husband in the family. Okay, it's the same way within the Bible, so, but that's not the only way that it's a little bit controversial, right? Is it only a married man? It does say a man of one woman, so those that have pursued singleness, are they then allowed to be married? Well, I hope, because otherwise Jesus is out, as would be the Apostle Paul. So we've got some examples in the scriptures that help guide us. Where we don't have any example in the scripture is a female elder. We don't have any example of in the scriptures of a female apostle, no matter how many times you want to rethink Romans 16. What we don't have is a letter written by a female. We have lots of females engaged in beautiful, flourishing ministry. Like both Marys, after the resurrection, they're the first people to go back and tell the apostles uh, that Jesus has risen. That's done purposefully to invite females into a very beautiful, important role in the life of any story in church you see it all throughout the scriptures that you know uh, Paul, apollos and, 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 and oh, what are their names in acts priscilla and aquila i couldn't even think of the dude's name much less the lady's name they pull aside apollos to correct his theology right they do it together female and male so i just want to put before us that like we're not here to squash we're here to flourish and help flourish but at, at the same time god puts around us some careful boundaries including character qualifications of males. Not just any man can do this, right? That's not unfair. That's certainly fair. All right, enough about that. We believe that the qualifications and the examples of the New Testament help us understand that this is a man married, hopefully, faithfully, to a woman. If there's no polygamy, there's no divorce, there's no sequential polygamy, that's Kind of how we do polygamy these days. It's not just married to multiple women at the same time. It's married to one woman for a season, and then we get divorced. We get married to another woman for a season, and we get divorced. We get to another married, another marriage along the way. Not that either. And again, each situation is different. So if there's been adultery where that person got divorced, that certainly would not disqualify that person. There's all kinds of, again, caveats here that I will say this. This stage doesn't allow for all the nuance that's, that, that's necessary for this conversation. So if you want to have, a, like, a, I would love it. If you want to have a, a good conversation about the role of men and women inside of a local church, I want to sit down and have that conversation with you. And we have enough people that have a desire for that. We'll almost do it together. Like, have a dinner and enjoy it. It'll be good. All right. 
husband of one wife. We think we know what that means. It is a, a man married to one woman, and they are known for, for faithfulness. Then we have sober-minded, right? What does that mean? It means that they are even-tempered with sound judgment. They're self-controlled, one who not only prevents evil in their own life, but also in the life of others, and then therefore promotes good. They are respectable, the Bible says. They have a good reputation. They are hospitable. They'll invite people into their homes as well as into their hearts. They are able to teach. They are, they are, they're, they're able to articulate sound doctrine and defend the truth, both in what they say and how they say it. They are not a drunkard. This is a person that is not known for getting saucy on the weekends, right? They are, they are not violent, but gentle. They have emotional health in tone and in motive. You can go to them and have a fear or a doubt, and they don't get defensive and squish you. They instead listen with curiosity and a desire to come alongside you. They're not quarrelsome. They don't they don't have a, have a, I love what the Bible says. The, the Greek says, it's not a brawler. I don't, we don't use that word brawler. But someone who's not known for just fighting people. They don't say things provocatively on social media just to fight people. They do that, or maybe they do that, but they do it in order to maybe provoke someone else into deeper thought. But that's not what they're known for is, is fighting and brawling, both verbally and physically. They're not a lover of money, right? They don't, uh, they don't, they don't, they're not greedy or manipulative in their motives. Verse five, four and five, it says, they must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. And he goes on to say, for if someone does not know how to manage his household well, how will he care for God's church? The Puritans called the home the little church. What they do at home will be how they do it here. It is not to say that elders keep their children submissive no matter what. There's been a great abuse in homes of pastors for many centuries uh, with that bad understanding. It is instead to say, hey, look, there's probably going to be some seasons of rebellion, but I'm going to care so much about you that I'm always going to call you into submission to Jesus, and I will never give up preaching the gospel to you no matter how many times you say you hate me. There is a pursuit of people and your children. They're not passive. An elder cannot be passive at the home because then they will be passive in the church. We must be a people that pursue these types of things. They are then, therefore, verse 6, he must not be a recent convert. And the warning there is, or he may become puffed up with conceit, arrogance, and fall into the condemnation of the devil. If you don't know the story of the devil, he was created by God. He was a beautiful angel. And then he was cast out of heaven because of his arrogance. He wanted glory and it's the same judgment that someone who has been put into a position too soon will then be cast out and shamed for all. That ain't good. And then finally, verse 7, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. That is, lost people are drawn in by this person, not pushed away by this person, by their tone, by their activities, by the amount of hypocrisy in their life, or their ability to just go, yeah, I'm a hypocrite, what else? Just to disarm those that are looking on. Of course we're hypocrites. Of course we aspire to a level and a standard of righteousness that we yet don't uh, live out all the time. And that's the beauty of these qualifications is that they hold us to a standard, and there are some things in here that we may struggle with over the others, but that we are still yet going against the standard and for it. So this is what qualified elders should look like. So I would ask you again, what kind of leaders do you want leading you? I hope it's this kind of leader. And now finally, before we actually get to the laying on of hands, what do elders do? I'm going to go to another piece of scripture. It's in Acts chapter 20. Paul is saying goodbye to the elders at Ephesus. And as he is saying goodbye to the elders at Ephesus, he has some things to say to them about what they are to do in his absence. It's a beautiful passage. If you've never read Acts 19 through 21 recently, it is really beautiful. Very layered and textured and very human. Uh, something that we'll probably experience with our brother uh, with our brother Josue when he goes away, that he ultimately Paul gets on a ship and they're just weeping and crying as they send him 
ultimately to his death. Truly, he goes to Jerusalem. He goes, I know I'm constrained and told by the Holy Spirit that when I get to Jerusalem, there's nothing waiting for me except for chains and death. Let me go. Don't break my heart. It's a beautiful picture. But it goes on to say this about Paul saying this to the, to the Ephesian elders in verse 28. He says this. This is what elders are supposed to do. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. The Holy Spirit has put you in this position. Don't forget that Jesus himself has purchased those sheep. And so therefore, pay a, not just pay a little bit of attention, pay careful, examine thoroughly the sheep that are amongst you. So when we uh, first put our elders in place, we gave them two gifts. And the first one was a shepherd's crook to care for, to look after, to pastor like a shepherd. Every once in a while, boop, I raised a hog, and that's how we got them to go where they needed to go, right? It was this little number right here, little this, little that. When we're shepherding, there has to be guidance. We have to lead them to green pastures. If we just lead them into a pasture that's just been dead for a whole while, we're on the hook for that as pastors and elders. We need to lead them to green pastures where they can feed and graze. And of course, that is upon, not on me, not on any elder, but on King Jesus himself, the good shepherd of our souls. That's where we lead them to go to. I may not have all the answers. Kobe, Chris, Josue may not have all the answers, but Jesus does. And so we lead them as under-shepherds over underneath the good shepherd to ultimately Jesus himself. Elders are charged to, knowing, to know what's going on in your lives. When we ask questions that go well beyond what you're comfortable with, it's for a reason. We're charged to care and examine carefully the, the health of the flock amongst us, not just families, not just in points of crisis with our, with our parent, with our kids, but also with you, also with us. We are called to have a steady eye on the state of our souls, and a good shepherd ensures the flock is healthy, so when they see something that is not in step with the good shepherd, they are then compelled by God, by the Holy Spirit, under God's shepherding of us to facilitate health and encourage alignment. We cannot force alignment, but we can encourage alignment. And when there is sin that is public, that is, that is um, defaming of others over long periods of time, if necessary, we'll step in with church discipline. We don't want to do that. It's not our favorite thing to do. That's why we even call it um, church restoration to bring them back to the fold of God, bring them back to following Jesus. Not our favorite thing to do, but this is a good picture. Shepherding, caring for the flock. That's the first thing that shepherds, overseers are supposed to do. The other thing that we gave them, which might be a little bit more provocative, is this. It is both to care for the flock and to protect the flock. Don't you want somebody standing at your door when there's somebody trying to get in that shouldn't be here? Don't you want somebody as a watchman on the tower looking out to see who's hiding in a Trojan, Trojan horse to get into this body? That is the role of any good shepherd overseer. Not that we're ready to wheel, and you've got to know the difference as a good shepherd. You can't put this on the sheep. That's not okay. But you better be able to discern when there's a wolf in sheep's clothing. And so the Bible goes on to say in verse 29 of Acts chapter 20, he says this, Know that after my departure, Paul says this, fierce wolves will come in among you. They will not spare the flock. They will have no mercy. And from among your own selves, y'all hear this? As Paul is writing this and saying this to the Ephesian elders, so now I say to us, before COVID, there were a whole lot of among your own selves. And after COVID, we don't have a whole lot of, a whole lot of that. But it may be coming. 
it's the standard of the Bible. From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Be careful where we lead them. Are we leading people to follow me? Or are we leading people to follow Jesus? Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone a good shepherd will do with tears. Elders investigate claims of false teaching and following the example of the New Testament when Paul calls people out by name, sometimes that's necessary. Again, not what we like to do, but sometimes necessary. Jesus describes shepherds and hirelings or hired hands in John 10. I am so grateful. I am so grateful that for the last five years, we do not, it has been proven. That's the beautiful thing about this ordination, though it is late. But the people that, the men that we are ordaining before you today have a proven track record of not being hirelings. There's people that you bring in so that when we're out of town, uh, that they bring in and they kind of watch the flock for you. What happens with a hired hand when a wolf comes to devour the flock? The Bible says, Jesus says, they're gone. They're not standing. They're not going to put their life on the line for your flock, but a shepherd will stand. They have a vested interest in the health of the flock, and they will stand against what comes against their flock. I am so grateful to have labored alongside these three men for the last five years in this local congregation, because let me tell you this, at every opportunity, they have both shepherded and protected this flock to the best of their ability by God's guidance. There's not a lot of churches that probably could stand up with full integrity to just be able to tell you, these men are legit. And so let me invite them up, and we're going to lay hands on them as a church. So Josue and Kobe and Chris, whom we all know and love, and they have shepherded us, been in our living rooms for the last five years. Would you come up, grab a bar stool, spread out? And as you're getting there, let me just speak a word of encouragement to each of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah, just spread out a little bit, a little bit, a little bit further, a little bit further. That's perfect, that's perfect. Uh, maybe give a little bit of room for somebody to come along by the back of you, yep. All right, while we're doing that, um, let me just say a couple of words about these men. Kobe, you are a leader in service, brother. You love the orphan like few others that I've ever seen. You care about doing the right thing, the right way, and the right timing. Um, through COVID, you helped us get through, I mean, crazy season with being courageous with some of our policies, uh, but also being very careful. You were always the, the elder I could call and go, hey, what do you think about this? And that, got, that saved our skin more than a few times. And I knew that if we had your approval, brother, that we were going to be all right, right? One of the beautiful things about, about Kobe is that he will risk his reputation or he'll risk being liked to be the lone voice of dissension. That takes, some, that takes some courage. And you do it well, and you do it with grace, and you do it with, with, with mercy amongst other things. You have led in many ways here over our finances, getting our bylaws in order. You play in our band, right? You help lead the band on times. You help preach uh, at, at times. You will again in the future. Again, you ensure us that we are careful and yet courageous, and now you're in a position of leading our students in the absence of Aaron. And so we're really grateful for you, brother. Uh, we're really grateful for your service. I'm grateful for your friendship, and I love you dearly. So thank you, brother. You guys lined up in order. This is perfect. I love it. Chris, brother, you're a shepherd of shepherds. I get to do a lot of life with you because our sons are the same age, so we just, you know, do baseball and everything else for as much as we can, but I get to do a lot of life with you. You love the orphan brother with loyalty and love. Uh, I've sat in many living rooms with Chris, as well as with Kobe and Josue, and in every living room, whether there's tension between husband and wife or tension between you and me, 
Chris is faithful to do two things really well in every situation, and that is to carefully pastor you, and then after we get done with that, he'll carefully pastor me. You saw that last week at the, um, at the anniversary lunch, right? He, he's always good to make sure there's public encouragement of me and of the other elders, right? You uh, pastor and shepherd well. You keep your cool when the heat is turned up in many different ways. So I'm really grateful for you. I love you, and I love our friendship. Our brother Josue, you are an exemplary model of sentness to me. You love those that are marginalized, always keeping before us, the elders, what's appropriate and what's not appropriate in regards to racially charged language. Uh, that's that's a, a beautiful gift that you've given our church as you go out now and again, being sent out to Sugarland to start a new work. You don't, for me, like, you're always talking about relationships that you have with lost people. At the box or wherever it may be, you are constantly and it seems like effortlessly pursuing those that don't know Jesus. That is a great example of what we always need to put before us as a shepherd and as a pastor. You always find opportunities to build relationships and make spreadsheets. And those two things, <laughs> those two things are hard to find. And so, brother, we are great. I'm grateful for you. I love you. You're more of like a little brother to me than maybe some of the other guys because I've been walking with you for a long time. And so I can't wait to see what my little bro goes and does in Sugarland and, of course, to the ends of the earth. So I love you, and I'm grateful for you, brother. And so now um, we get to the ordaining part, right? We've set them apart to this, to this work of ministry. These men are, are truly stand up to the high test of all the qualifications that we've just put before you. And I have no hesitation at all to not only just recommend you under, to, to, to be cared for by them, but ultimately, like, this is a beautiful picture of God's church. It is never supposed to be one lone shepherd leading the way, but a multitude of elders coming together and leading and protecting and caring for the flock. So what a great picture that this is. We're going to miss Josue, but I'll put this before you before we lay hands on these men. We need more men that aspire to the office of elder. As much as you love your job, as much as you love your hobby, even more so, we need people that will be formed into the kind of people that can stand under the high uh, standard of eldership and therefore care and love other people. Three was not enough to go into this. Or four was not enough to go into this. Three certainly isn't going forward. So again, I would just say, man, you men need to aspire to this, maybe not to the office, but certainly to the level of maturity. So here's how this works in the ordaining world. We typically will pause for just a moment, and um, we will call anyone who is ordained, ordained into the ministry to come up and to pray for these men first. And so is there anyone here that's ordained besides me? Raise your hand. My man David Holt, I knew you'd be the only one. So David, would you uh, join me up front? And the band, would you come up? Can you play just a little bit of something on, or, or put a pad on or something um, and just play a little bit as, the, as we start to pray? When we get done praying for these men, uh, I'm going to come back up and invite uh, ultimately the whole congregation. All those that would submit themselves to these men as your shepherds, your pastors, your leaders, your elders, your overseers, come up and I want you then to ordain them. Set them apart in your own heart to honor them as uh, such, as elders that, that meet these qualifications. So we're going to pray for a minute between you and me. You go this way, I'll go that way. We might meet in the middle here at Chris. Um, and then in a moment, I'll come back up and invite anybody else that wants to participate in the same way.
as David is finishing up, would your wives come up and pray for you? Lay their hands on you? The ultimate approver of any man's ministry is their wife. Because they know behind the scenes. You just pray for your husbands just for a moment. What a joy it is to know that this isn't a show. These marriages truly are exemplary for all of us. I'm grateful that the Spirit of God has done that work in our church. And I'm hopeful for many more into the future. Now as they finish up their prayers for their husbands, I would just invite all of us to stand up for a moment. And here's what I would just say. If these are not your pastors, feel free to sit back down and pray for us as we go. But if these are your pastors, would you come and take a moment? Just lay your hand on each one of them and pray a prayer over each one of them. We'll just take a few moments to do this. We're not in a hurry. And so if these are your pastors, would you come forward? Would you lay your hands on them and pray for them?
So sometimes you don't know what you're grateful for until you pray about it. And so what I want to do right now, um, before at least two-thirds of these guys come up and help us respond in song, um, like just a moment, just a word or two about what you appreciate about Kobe's ministry. Just go ahead, where you're at. Kobe in particular, say again. High fives, positiveness, love. Caring, one at a time, he needs to take it in. We're not in a hurry. Genuine. Take it in, brother. What is that? Joyful. Hugs, welcoming. Leader. Wisdom. Friend. Genuine. Sacrificial. Vision? Yes. Happy Sunday. I'm going to end on that because that's his jam. How about Chris? Just a few words about his ministry. Voice? Caring, consistent? Steadfast, kindness, love? Intentional? I missed one. Genuine. Submissive? Dedication? Loyal? Thoughtful? Welcoming. Persistence. Father. Okay. What? Funny. Multiple from the wife. Multiple from the wife. I love it. All right. Now, Brother Josue, what are some things that you appreciate about his ministry in particular? Drums. Hair. Thought. Creative. Spreadsheets. Amen. Boldness, strong, back-to-back. Knowledge. Knowledge, loyalty. Bilingual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're going to miss that. Consistency, I missed one in the back. Compassionate. Compassionate. Joyful. Joyful. Yeah. Question asker, what was the other one over here? Faithful. Faithful. Amen. Well, with that, let me, let me pray for us. Um, you know what? We were going to do a song. I'm sorry. Yeah. So here's what we're going to do. Let me pray for us, then we're going to send us out. Father, thank you for sending us these men in your timing and in your will. Kobe, who showed up and said he found us on Google, which is still alive, but nonetheless, he's here. Chris who don't know what he saw when he saw it, but decided to come when he came. Josue, whom with I sat with years ago and said, who are you reaching, brother? And he got convicted by that, and now here he is. It's not about them, though. It's not about me. It's not about any people. It is about you, O Lord. It is about the person that all of these people, not just these elders, not just the deacons that also serve without name in many days, It's also about all of us then pursuing you, O Lord, in all of our lives. And so, O Lord, would this be an example of what we can all be as these men then follow you? Follow me as I follow Christ, Paul says. None of us are following ourselves or an end to itself, but instead unto you, O Jesus, do all of our lives pursue. Help us honor these men appropriately. And help us honor you with our lives. In Christ's name do I pray. Amen.